Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. I'm your host, Adam Lyons, and today I'm joined by the incredible James Fair. What's up, buddy? How's it going, man? You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. We're here to talk about taking a business from seven figures to eight figures, right? Yeah. And uh, that's something you know a little bit about. Right. Um, yes. So why don't you tell everybody, how do you know how to do this? And uh, give us a little bit about your story about how that's something that you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I think like uh, everybody sort of finds their way into entrepreneurship. My path was uh, through the corporate world. So I spent 10 years in the corporate world I uh, was the head of global stra- head of digital strategy for a very big company, and um, really got like this uh, big bird's eye view of what it looks like to operate at scale. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I wanted to work with smaller companies though, because I was sick of the red tape and like all the bureaucracy and all that stuff. And so um, so I started my uh, my own business about twelve years ago, and was an agency at the time. My background was in marketing and sales and stuff like that. And as I was getting going, I was like, man, there's just so much that has to go into like organizing a team and getting things running without you and all these different things. And I honestly felt like these are my problems. And I didn't think anybody else was experiencing these like growing pains. Yeah. And I, and so I didn't say anything about it. I was like, oh man, I just really suck at this phase of business and uh, started building systems and hiring people and making a lot of mistakes and um, one thing led to another and it, you know, started working and then people started, Hey, like, what are you doing over there? And how is that working? How are you making so much progress? And, um, realized that the problems and challenges that I was facing were not just limited to me. And, uh, I was able to help, um, a lot of other people. And so, uh, you know, through the course of that, you know, building, uh, building systems and teams and leaning into good strategy, help, help people, uh, achieve some really good success. So, I mean, this is the reality, right? The difference between a seven-figure company and an eight-figure company are the systems that you have. It's definitely a major difference. Yeah. For sure. Because, you know, I, I, I always joke with people because the average person, especially as an entrepreneur, they're like, I can't wait to have my first, you know, million-dollar year yeah. or the first time that I hit seven figures. But it, it's almost like you can get to seven with plucky gumption, hard work, grinding, networking. Yeah. Right? You can hit that. Yeah. But over a million... Over a million needs something else. And in my mind, it is systems that's the difference. Is there anything else missing, like as far as you're concerned? I think um I think it's a the infrastructure, right? Like that's what helps you get leverage, right? And um so that's a big thing. I think I think also there's an element of do we how we really nail down our strategy mm-hmm. and uh, the way that and our model, the way that we make money. I think that you can have like a, a bunch of different things going and make seven figures. But if you want to get to, you know, eight figures or beyond, you really have to refine, like, this is what this business does. This is how we do it. This is who we serve. So, so I think there's definitely some, you know, kind of things that we're going to say no to. Yeah. Right. There's when you're getting to seven figures, it's about like, what can we say yes to, to figure out what works? Right. But as you grow past that, you have to start shedding some of the things Kind of like you know editing a movie there's going to be a lot of things that fall to the cutting room floor 
And, um, and then once you know, like, this is the direction we're going, then you start building the systems and hiring the right people and bringing in the right things to focus on that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not just building systems and things for the sake of doing that. Cause I think sometimes people hear like, oh, you're a systems guy. You must just like sit around building systems all the time. I'm like, not really. Like, that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is get leverage and make money. And systems is a pathway to doing that. So one of the things that we're, we're big about on the show is we want people to have practical things they can take away and actually do. So assuming somebody's looking at this now, they've got a business and they're making high six figures, maybe low seven figures. What would you say is the very first thing they need to do, like in terms of action steps to start leveraging to be able to move towards, you know, 10 million a year or whatever? Well, I think I think the, you know, the mistake that I see a lot of people making, and I think we've all been guilty of it, is trying to do too many things. And so first of all, like what's what's actually working? Like analyzing, okay, we've got, you know, seven figures coming in. Is the vast majority of it coming from one product line, from one service, from one thing that we're doing? Um, where where's where are we stronger and where are we not as strong? So I would definitely say the first thing is to double down on what's working and, you know, get get rid of the rest. Like you gotta be willing to say no in order to say yes to the right things. And I think that's that's the first thing. Um, but but beyond that, there's a, a framework that I have um, and I teach that uh, called the Optimal Traffic Flow System. And basically it's taking your business and looking at it from five different areas, right? You've got marketing, which is getting people to raise their hands and say that they're interested. Mm-hmm. Sales, uh, you know, completing a sale. Delivery, giving people the thing that they paid you for. Operations, which is kind of the glue that keeps it all together and finance, which is, you know, measuring the health of the company and making sure that you're making money and looking at each one of those and evaluating, well, where are we? Are we red, yellow, or green in each one of those areas and identifying the the biggest bottleneck that's actually preventing you from already having that yeah. eight figure business, right? So if we kind of reverse engineer our way to a bigger company, we'll say, well, this is what I have right now. Like, why am I not already there? What's slowing me down? Is it lead flow? Is it converting those leads into sales? Is it because like if we add too many people into this, our delivery is going to fall apart? Do we not have hiring systems? Like what exactly is the biggest reason? And then go to work on that with singular focus until one of the other areas becomes a problem and then move on to that one. Okay, I love that. And so um, anyone who's listened to me for a while knows I'm big on dividing up the company into six core areas. I love that you said five because you did five of the six through the sixth one being yourself. Um, and which is actually how we break it down as well. So that's really cool. Um, but you know, and this is actually a unique angle here, which is rather than trying to tackle all the departments in the company at once, you pick one and say, okay, you know, maybe your finances is the one place where everything's messy every year, taxes stress you out and you go, okay, I'm just going to focus on that until it's good. Or I'm just going to focus on sales. I'm just going to focus on marketing operations or deliverables. I, I love that. I think that's a really good way of doing it. So for everyone here, you know, your, your first action step here is pretty simple just write down the five different departments in your company. You know, the marketing is going to be new leads. Where is that new lead uh, flow coming from? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sales, um, operations, deliverables, and finances, right, with the five. And then all I would do is, uh, I like the traffic light system, just right next to them. Red light, orange light, green light. Yeah. What is go? What is green for you that you're like, okay, this is good. Maybe not where you want it to be, but it's good. What is orange? Okay, this is a cause for concern. What is red? Like really bad. And then what you're saying is put all the effort on red to fix it yeah. um, until it's until it's good. And then you can look at another area. That's yeah, until, until that's no longer the limiting factor on getting you to where you want to go. I, I love that. 
All right, so um, let's look specifically at marketing, first of all, because I do think that most people, their first issue is going to be some form of marketing, mm. right? Generating new leads. What is one of the first systems that you would add in order to help somebody do that? Well, everybody, I mean, everybody needs leads, right? Regardless of how you're going to close them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, so I think you need it. You don't need to have leads coming from everywhere, but at least at the beginning, you need to identify, well, this is my, this is where I find people. Like, where is my ideal customer hanging out? You know, are they on Facebook? Are they on TikTok? Are they at events? So like, where, where are they? And I think there needs to be a systematic way of generating those leads. Um, and if you can't, if you can't figure that out, the, the rest of the downstream stuff, like that's a later problem, but you, you need to be in front of people. People need to know who you are in yeah. order, you know, in order to be able to sell them something. Okay. So, so essentially you can say, okay, so I'm going to write down, this is where I believe my people are. Yeah. And then what's the next step? Like, is it hire an agency? Is it do it yourself? Like, what, what would you typically say to somebody? In that I'd time? say it depends on what you're good at, yep. right? If you're really, if you happen to be really good at organic YouTube or you happen to be good at buying media, then don't hire an agency. If you don't know anything about those things then bringing somebody else in is going to be, you know, your, your best bet, right? And I'm, I'm a big proponent of playing to everybody's strengths. And so if, you know, um, you know, I call it the big five, it's like, you should be focusing on the things that you're good at, the things that you enjoy and the things that move the needle. So if part of your big five is some of those lead gen activities, then absolutely focus on that. And if it's not, then we have to talk about, do we hire somebody or do we bring in an agency or how do we tackle that? So I, I've definitely had a lot of companies I've worked with who have worked with agencies, outside sources who have failed. Yeah. And I would say more often than not, your outside agencies struggle and don't do great. Yeah. Well, I think the re there's there's a lot of reasons for that. Most of these, most agencies, so we could get on this soapbox for a second. Most of them are really good at selling you on their service. Yes. And not necessarily greatest at doing what they say. Doing what yes. they say, right? Like, their sales genius is like, we're good at this. Um, and so if you are going to, regardless of whether you're going to hire somebody, you're going to do it yourself, you still need to know what are the metrics for success mm -hmm. on how you're going to manage that activity, right? Whether it's a internal person, because the same argument could be made for, oh, I hired somebody and I brought them into my team and they didn't perform. Yeah. And it's like, well, how did you manage them, right? Did you know exactly what their KPIs were? Did you know what they should be doing? And because you hear about people like, oh, I had them here for six months or 12 months and it never went anywhere. And it's like, how did you allow that to happen for six or 12 months without it going anywhere? Like, because there's early indicators of whether things are working or not. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, and I, and so I think it could be like, it doesn't matter whether it's an agency or it's an internal person or even yourself, you might get stuck if you're not sure like what you're actually looking for in that particular area of the business. So kind of elevating the conversation a little bit has to be, how do I know when this is working? Like, how am I going to know when this is working? You need to know that before you pull the trigger I, on bringing somebody in. And I love that. For everybody here that's at home, like this is, this is something to really consider. Um, what I always do is I think, okay, how many sales do I need to be making a week to hit my financial goal? In order to make that many sales, I think about, okay, um, my salesperson, how many phone calls do they have to have to make a sale? So it might be like, okay, they have to make five phone calls to make one sale, and I wanna make one sale a day, so I know my salesperson needs to be making five phone calls a day, 25 phone calls a week is gonna get me my five sales. Yeah. And then you say, okay, well, in order for them to have a phone call, how many high quality leads they need to receive? 
And so if you've got like one in three leads turns to a phone call, you now know, okay, I need 15 leads a day. Um, and so you can calculate that out and you go, okay, if we've got 75 leads in a week, I know that's going to translate into the 25 uh, phone calls that I need, which is going to turn into um, the five sales. Yeah. And that's how you do it. So then the marketing agency you bring on, you have this very simple conversation with them where you say to them, we need 75 leads a week that are high quality that match this criteria. And now you can calculate, okay, well, how much money we're going to spend to get there. And so I love that. And I think that is the angle. You have to be very strong with those, yeah. with those agencies and tell them this is what we need to be, uh, well, be receiving. Well, and it's like, you know, if you're building a house, you don't just say to somebody, hey, go build me a house, right? Like, okay, hopefully you have a blueprint, you know, exactly where this room is going to be, what the kitchen is going to look like and all of that stuff. Having that spec allows whoever's building a house to build it the right way, the way that you want it to be built. And having that conversation with whoever's going to be managing media buying or whatever's happening is the same conversation. And it's really weird because in the digital world or the business world, we take all of the best practices from the physical world and kind of throw them out the window, <laughs> right? Like you'd never build a house without a blueprint, but people are building businesses without knowing what good looks like on a, on a regular basis. Well, I, I love that you said this because one of my favorite things, we actually, um, our core website, we have a business plan template that we give away. And we say to people, fill it in. It will really help you with where you're going to go. And the amount of people that have done that is so small. And I don't just mean via our website. I mean, in general. Yeah. The amount of times I meet a business owner and I'm like, do you have a business plan? Is it written up? Because we all know we need to do it. And so few businesses actually do it. Like, you know, and anyone who's watching this right now, I dare you to respond back whether you have or haven't created a business plan. And did you update it this year? Uh, which is also something that you've got to do. I guarantee you didn't. And uh, and that's the problem. Yeah. Because you're right. In the real world, you wouldn't do anything without a plan. In the business world, it's let's fly by the seat of our pants. Let's just go for it. Unless you're dealing with a business that's eight or nine figures, which always has a business plan. Always. But but then but then you got to look at it and you say, all right, does that eight or nine figure business have a business plan because it's an eight or nine figure business? Or are they an eight or nine figure business because they went through the discipline of creating that and to get there? Absolutely the second. Yes. It's the company, the, the people the bother creating the business plan are the ones that end up with the eight or nine figure business because you can't have a business without a clear business plan. No, and I th and I don't think you have to overcomplicate mm -hmm. the business plan. Like what we're talking about here is fundamentals, right? It's not, say, oh, you have to go and create a 150 page business plan. Like we're going to raise capital. It's what what is good going to look like here? Like what are our assumptions that we're making and how are we going to know whether it's working or not, right? That's a great start. Absolutely. I love this. All right. So let's tackle one of the other ones. Let's look at sales off the marketing. Um, in terms of sales, in terms of systems, I would argue that one of the biggest problems is hiring the right salespeople um, because I think that's a common problem people have. Do you have a system for that or is there a recommendation there? I, I try to avoid hiring salespeople if at all possible. Okay. Um, it, because I think that, and, and it's just not my zone of genius. I'm good at doing sales myself, but I've, I haven't had a tremendous amount of success Okay, like scaling a sales team um, for a variety of reasons. So, so for me, I I would prefer to put more energy into my marketing and have the sale be easier than to just say, "Hey, here's a lead. Like, see if you can close them." Got right? Because then there's more lifting, more heavy lifting that has to be done on the salesperson side. So, for, so I'm always looking how can we make the sale easier and an easier yes. Um, not to say that you can't have salespeople or we haven't had success with it, but I think in terms of like scaling something. I, I, I don't want it to be uh, people as people dependent if I can get away from it. 
makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this is something, you know, I've spoken about a lot with people in the, uh, in the marketing industry as well, which is at what price point do you need a salesperson? Um, and th th there's a lot of, um, you know, conjecture here because some people are like, well, anything over $500 requires a salesperson at the other end. Um, but then, and this is something I've been thinking about recently, you got things like Apple computers that sell minimum $1,000, $2,000 that sell all day, every day without a salesperson talking to you. So it's clearly possible. Yeah. It's really about that value stack. I think so. I think that, you know, if something is an incredible offer, people are going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. They're going to find a way to give you money if things are questionable or confusing. Like you look at where salespeople typically go in the process. It's where marketing is like, okay, like we did our job. We got a, a, a warm body into a seat somewhere. You do the rest. Yeah. Right. And if you can, you know, make an argument for why that offer is so strong, like I've, I've sold, you know, $5,000 without a sales call. And, and I think that's, you know, 10 times that $500, $500 for sure. Yeah. You can do without a sales call like all day long. But yeah, it's about that marketing. So yeah. what would you say are the components of marketing that builds it to that? Like what, what would you have to put in place in order for that to be? Well, I think, I think the offer, the offer itself has to be phenomenal. Yeah. Like you should invest an incredible amount of time in creating a very attractive offer, right? Like what is the, what is the value? There's a, there's a, a great book um, uh, called the uh, Better Simpler Strategy. And he talks about the difference between like you're, you're trying to stretch the gap between price and the willingness to pay. And the difference between price and willingness to pay is the value that somebody gets, right? And so how do you increase the value such that somebody's like, yeah, that $2,000 thing, that $3,000 thing, whatever, $10,000 thing makes a ton of sense, right? Like we were talking about the shoes that you're wearing before we sat down and you're wearing these amazing shoes that cost a lot of money. But for you, the willingness to pay for those shoes was really high because of what they represented, right? They were like featured in a movie, like all this cool stuff. And you didn't need to get on a sales call Correct. with somebody to buy those, right? Because for you, the perception of value was so much higher than the price that you paid for them. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know, I, what I love about that as well that, that is worth recognizing is um, we've made this mistake as well before. It's where we make the offer so big and so robust it actually detracts from the sale. Mm. Um, so it's not about just adding everything in. It's about making sure that the core component, like again, if we use, uh, use Apple as an example, when you buy an Apple computer, you're not sold on the price because the Apple computer comes with, um, you know, headphones and comes with, you know, all these other accessories, you know, the, the, the case of your choosing, it doesn't actually come with any of them. Yeah. It's just the core thing. Um, and, and if you're curious, the reason why people buy Apple over uh, you know, Microsoft or, or Dell computer or what have you, it's because they're sold on the brand. They're not necessarily sold on what it does. It's, there is a belief that Apple equals reliable and simple and cool, right? If you have Apple, you're a creator. You are, you're somebody who's, who's serious and good at what you do. So there's a, a, an image. Likewise, um, a, a traditional PC or a, a Microsoft-based PC or a Linux-based PC, you're going to find people that do tech and coding right. because that's cool. Because you can modify your Windows machine more. So if you're a coder or you're in tech, you don't have a Mac because it can't be modified as much. Well, and I think that's that's a, a great you know kind of point to bring up is that the value 
is in the eye of the beholder. Correct. Right? So what's valuable to one person may not be valuable to another person. And so knowing who you're selling to is critical. Like what does that person value? If you know what they value, then you can create an offer. And I super agree with, you know, don't just throw stuff in to an offer because then that's just like bloated. Yeah. Right. And then people will feel like, well, I don't know where I would begin or how it would work or anything. And there's just like complexity to it. And and I think that at the end of the day, people want a simple, uh, a simple offer that gets them something that they want and they want to be able to pay less than what it's worth. Right. And, and uh, look, I'll make it simple for you as well. The average person has no idea the uh, the system or uh, statistics of their Mac computer, right? If you have a Mac at home right now, you do not know, or you probably don't know its RAM, its processing speed, uh, what kind of, uh, unless you bought it right recently, like you probably have no idea because it's not something you needed to know when you purchased it. So you didn't actually care about any of the details about that computer. So the question is, why did you buy it? And, and I'll help you with that. You bought it because you heard it was for people like the kind of person you want to be. Yeah. So this computer is for people who are successful, artistic, creative, visionaries. And you're like, I, I'm one of those people. I want to be one of those people. So you bought it because of the perception of who it said that you would be if you bought it and for what you'll be able to do with it, but not what it does. So not the way that it works, but people who have this are capable of becoming famous, making incredible movies, you know, being the best on Photoshop. So it's kind of like the how it works is almost irrelevant to you. You care about who it's supposed to be for and who you will be when it's done. Yeah, you want the benefit. Right. Right, you want the benefit. And I think the other thing about creating an offer is it, it should give you status. So, so you get status from having an Apple product because other people are like, oh, he's got an Apple product. He might, he might be that kind of person that you're talking about. Or people want certainty. They want to know, is this going to help me achieve that outcome? Right. And that's where you got to focus on in terms of value. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that is so huge. And if you if you think about your marketing process and you put more energy into this is who it's for, and this is who you will be afterward, not the result you'll get, but you know, people buy a transformation. Who will you become? Not after you've finished using it, but after you purchase. Like the minute you purchase, who do you become? Because once you buy that Mac computer and you start hanging out at home, you're like, I bought a Mac. What does that mean? That <laughs> yeah. means I am now this. Have you done anything with it? No, I haven't even opened it. But but this is who I am now. There's a new identity. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, and I always think about this. I met a, a guy that sold Aston Martin uh, cars for a while. I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast. But he says, when we sell an Aston Martin car, no one buys an Aston Martin for anything about the car itself. No one, no one's like, what kind of engine does that? No one cares. He goes, people buy an Aston Martin for one reason, one reason only. Because I feel good about myself. James Bond. Yeah, right. Always. Yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you buy an Aston Martin because you want to be James Bond. And he says to me, because he was just in the car showroom. He's like a sales guy. And he was like, yeah, he goes, somebody comes in. He goes, look, I want you to just imagine you're ride, driving down the streets of Monaco. And he's like, this guy's never going to go to Monaco. <laughs> but, but you put it in his head. Like you're driving down the streets of Monaco. And you know how it is. You pull up in front of a casino and there's that lady that you saw earlier on who catches your eye. Now she's not sure what kind of person you are. I mean, why are you even in Monaco? But she knows that you're capable of being dangerous. You capable of being dangerous, sir? And it's like, yes, of course. Go. And she knows it too. But somehow that's attractive. 
And when she gets in your car later that night, and so I just need to have a look at these seats here. Are they not, like, can you imagine a woman in a bright red dress on this? He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. She's gonna look at this car and she's gonna feel like the femme fatale in your James Bond movies. Like, I'll take the car, right? Like, and it's like- Shut up, yeah, take my money. Right, and it's like, didn't even ask if it has Bluetooth, right? Doesn't matter, doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> like there's gonna be a hot lady in a red dress on that seat. And he's like, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one, I'm James Bond, right? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, every single time. They buy, you, you buy an Aston Martin because you wanna be James Bond, right? not for any other reason whatsoever. And how much more effort has, has to go in if you're trying to sell that guy on a Toyota Corolla? Right, or, or right. can you imagine, or, or in, he's in the middle of fantasizing about being in Monaco and you're like, but sir, let me explain to you about how many spark plugs we have. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. nope, gone. You just Gosh. lost me the minute you said spark plugs. You popped the bubble. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Like, so your marketing, your sales process, your system that you build, you really want everyone focused on that. Like, okay, who are these people? Yes. Who will they be after the purchase, not after the transformation? Um, and that's like, especially if you're selling an event, because um, obviously we do a lot of events and you can have the mistake of having someone believe at the end of the event, this will be the result. Right. Instead, it's not after you purchase the ticket, your life will already change. You would say like, you're already living in that new reality. That's the, yeah. the key that you want to tell people. That's how it works. Yeah, so absolutely. dude, I love that. All right, so what are some other systems that you see people miss? I think um, I think people uh, people really need to have a, a way of hiring people to help mm -hmm. them and getting leverage, right? So, you know, past a certain point, you know, we're talking about getting to seven figures or, you know, uh, beyond that. I, I can't be doing everything, yeah. right? And I think that uh, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've come across and and earlier, myself included, were absolutely horrible at hiring people. Like I, I hired a cashier from Bed Bath and Beyond, like while I was in the checkout line once because I needed help. I was like, "Hey, you look like you know what to do." It's you. I've just, I've decided. Yeah, you're, and I literally like I held up the line. I hired her right on the spot, and and I fired her two weeks you later. Just, you just answered the question. That's what happens. Yeah. Because when you go to Bed Bath and Beyond, some people go there for bedroom stuff, yeah, other right. people go for bathroom yeah. stuff, and you went, no, yeah. I want the Beyond. I want the Beyond, like oh, beyond the store exactly. experience. Come and help me. Yeah, I'm and gonna... she's like, yeah, we, that's available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one asks about it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all available go. for Beyond. That's right. Yeah. So I think I think having uh, having a good system for hiring people that's not Bed Bath and Beyond is is really good. My my favorite hiring story is um, I once met a guy at a mastermind who had a eight figure business teaching people systems for hiring people. Yeah. And the way they did it, I'm gonna explain it because it's worth it. The way they did it is they had a website specifically for jobs, right? So it was like forward slash jobs. And when you click there, it was a, a video sales letter. He's like, hi, you're thinking about working for our company. All of the positions available are down below. If you click on one of them, you think it might be, uh, you might be relevant for, you can start doing the application process. And it went through a type form and they would answer questions. You know, how much experience do you have? And it, and it would actually filter them to find out how likely of a candidate they would be. And at the end of it, it would be like, you know what, you're not the right candidate for us, I'm terribly sorry. You know what we're looking for, feel free to apply for something different. Or if they were a high quality one, it would be yeah. like, hey, you might be what we're looking for. We'd like to go through the interview process. And then the interview process is they would schedule a call, um, but it would be like a group day that did one day a month and all the people would come in for a culture fit. And they wouldn't even be for the role. They, they wouldn't even know who they were there for. They were there for a culture fit. At the end of the culture fit, everyone that fit the culture fit could go into the next phase which would then be, um, they would do a video interview that they would submit. It was very short, 30 seconds, somebody would watch it. And then after that, they get the in-person interview. I was like, dude, that's awesome. Is that what you use? And he goes, now nah, we just take recommendations from friends. <laughs> right. And I just love, first of all, his honesty. <laughs> he built an eight-figure business building these systems for companies, yeah. but did not actually use it 
himself, he goes, I just re rely on recommendations from friends. Yeah. And I've found that nine times out of 10, an employee that you meet either as a recommendation from a friend or someone that you've known for a long time, who you've seen their work and you're like, yeah, this person can do it, is the right choice almost always. Yeah. And, and it's not a perfect science either. Like you could get a recommendation from a friend or you could, you know, go through a system. And all, what you're really trying to do is increase the probability that this person is going to be successful in their role. And I think regardless of where they come from, and I I, I have a more systematic approach yeah, because uh, I made so many mistakes. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. In fact, I recently uh, acquired a recruiting firm that does this in a very systematic way. But you need to know what is this person's role in the company before you hire them, mm -hmm. right? Like I think about it like Tetris, right? And like, what's the best Tetris piece? The one that fits the spot that you're trying sure. to fill. And if you're not clear, okay, it, this is where it is the straight go. line, though. Just, you know, it is a straight line. The straight line is the best piece. It depends. No, I mean, yeah, but it is. The <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, yeah, go for it. After this, we're going to get into it. Yeah. But, um, but if you don't know, what is this person going to be doing? What do I need them to do? What is the shape of this role? Your odds of getting a successful hire are lower, yeah. right? Regardless of whether they're a good person. Because there's a lot of good people who are misfit for the role that we bring them into because we don't necessarily spec out the role yep. back to the blueprint you know kind of analogy yeah dude no i i love that i do think that that is super super important and what i like is that you're fixing your biggest weaknesses with systems um to to turn it around which i do think is a very important point yeah um have you ever read work the system uh no i don't think so really good book i'm going to recommend it now for everyone work the system it basically talks about the fact that um you cannot grow anything without a system yeah and uh most of us ignore problems until they're so bad that everything falls apart. So the one system you should build is the system that looks for problems. And uh, and this is something actually, uh, you know, uh, me and my wife, we talk about this a lot, which is when you see a problem, which had this discussion this morning, um, like a problem could be like, let's say you got a weak chain, uh, a weak link in a chain. Mm -hmm. You will sometimes be tempted to keep poking the weak link and be like, look, this is a problem. Look, this is a problem. But all that happens is the weak link gets weaker and it collapses. Mm -hmm. And then you now have a hole in your chain, right. which is so much worse than a weak link. Yeah. What's better is to have a system of once we identify a weak link, how do we strengthen the link or add a second link that is stronger next to it so that we can remove the weak link. Yeah. And that is either you hire somebody straight away and have two employees on the same role for a while. Um, and hopefully the department grows, you need to. The reality is the weak link will typically bow out and you end up with a stronger chain Yeah. or repair that weak link, make that weak link stronger so it becomes the strongest link in the chain, which means time and attention. Yeah, I think I think that's great. And I think, you know, one of the things I talk about is that the system is basically three parts. It's, uh, it's people, it's process, and it's tools. And those three things working together create a system. Um, and I think when people are thinking about, oh, I got to build, you know, build systems or whatever in my company, they're like, oh, I just need to hire people. And, but that's like, that's, it's un unstable, yeah. right? Because those people, people are not systems. People with processes that are supported by tools, those are systems. And so even like the weak link thing, if you think we have a system that's like, we have a weak person, but we have a strong process, I would rather have something like that where we could find somebody else to go into that strong process and then we have a stronger system. Yeah, I, I love that. The other cool thing about having systems, again, because entrepreneurs, we hate systems. Well, I, I love them, but we start out hating them. 
is um, a system enables you to uh, essentially move on to the next thing, knowing that the system is going to work whether you're there or not. And yeah. you sometimes have to go back and check a system. I think a common problem entrepreneurs do do once they have a system is they build it, leave it, come back like six months later and goes, that's terrible. Yeah. But you do have to keep checking in. Part of a system is that check-in and making sure well, it's part, still working. Part of it is like, how, how are we going to know that the system is still online? How are we going to know it's still working? Right? And it's like, you know, you have the speedometer in your car. Okay, this is how fast I'm going. I have a fuel gauge. Right? You don't just put the fuel in and like, never look at the gauge actually i've got a really good analogy uh on systems so we have a, we have a chicken coop we have chickens and um we used to manually lock the chickens up at night which meant go into the chicken coop scooping up all the chickens putting them inside the coop and of course they're like running around and this is playtime for them you know and you're like rocky where you're trying to catch <laughs> a chicken and then you like lock the door seal the door for the yeah. night you do it every night you forget it one night and a raccoon gets in, in and kills all the chickens that's it you're done but we switched it for an automatic door. And the automatic door is on a timer and it opens and closes itself. Sometimes the automatic door doesn't work. Right. Most of the time it does. You can't no longer go and visit the chicken coop. Because if the, if the automatic door didn't open mm. and, or didn't close or whatever the situation is, you've got the same bad scenario. But you no longer have to chase the chickens. You no longer have to do this other stuff. So, you know, 20 nights in a row, that... Yeah. That automatic door saved you a lot of time, but yes, you did have to go and look at the door to make sure it did its job. Which, which is better, which is better than the previous alternative. Absolutely. Right? But you, it's not just like, oh, I'm forgetting about it now. You got you're it. St you're still accountable for the outcome. It's just that the way that you're getting the outcome, you have more leverage and it's less effort. Yeah. And it's, it's a three minute walk to the chicken coop. If we didn't want to walk to the chicken coop, the solution would be a video camera. Yeah. We put a video camera on the door and then we can look at the video camera and see if you're on your phone, you're sitting on your couch. Right. And now and that's another system. So I don't have to physically go unless, of course, it malfunctions or the camera malfunctions. So we can keep adding systems that save less and less time or save more and more time. Yeah. Um, however, there is no point where you can just say, okay, I can just ignore that system. Everything's good. You are going to have to check it. And that is a huge breakthrough, I think, for a lot of people to have is that just because I delegated something to somebody, just because I created a system, does not relinquish you of the responsibility to ensure that it's still producing the result that you put it in place for. Absolutely. Dude, I love that. All right, so we're getting towards the end. And uh, one thing that I like to ask people is, in your mind, what do smart businesses do? So if you could like, just look at the camera and just be like, smart businesses... I think smart businesses build systems. Smart businesses understand that getting from one stage of business to the next stage of business requires that you you systemize the things that you'd previously been working on so that you can move on to other things. And um and and keeping in mind that you still have to make sure that the entire thing is working. Like you can't get rid of that. And smart businesses build plans and blueprints to make sure that they know exactly what they're doing before they spend a lot of time and money doing it. Dude, I love it. There you go. Smart businesses do this. Um, so good to have you, dude. If people want to find out more about you or learn more or maybe even contact you, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, sure. Uh, JamesPFriel.com, F-R-I-E-L, and everything's there. Amazing. James, thank you ever so much. And thank you ever so much for tuning in and watching the episode. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit the smartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy.
And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.